time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome everyone to episode 27 of the Feelin' Film podcast. This week we will be chatting about Nate Parker's biopic of Nat Turner a literate slave and preacher who initiates a deadly uprising in the American South. There is plenty to talk about and consider in a picture that is becoming quite divisive, offering both Oscar buzz and fan protests. But before we get to that, Patrick, what have you been up to this week, my man? Hey, man. Uh, You know, it's been a pretty quiet week in terms of television and movies and other media consumption but uh it is the fall and with the fall comes checking out new tv series that are coming out as well as venturing into older ones you and i have talked about this is us which i'm excited to say we'll be resuming this week because there is no debate happening on monday nights thankfully (laughs) but i um my wife and i were checking out a new series on fox called pitch and uh, she's the one that actually looked at or she read about it. And she said, hey, we should check this out. And what it is, it's a series that sets its focus on a young female pitcher who has hmm. this incredible like screwball pitch. It's kind of what has gotten her notoriety, not just because she's a woman, but because she's a pretty decent pitcher. And so the TV series starts with her professional major league debut in the uh, Major League Baseball. And she is a San Diego Padre. So a lot of the focus is out there in the on the West Coast. But the series, it's only, we haven't watched the most recent episode. We've only watched the first couple. But it really, it's an ensemble cast. You know, she's the centerpiece. But they're, what I'm enjoying about it is really two, twofold. One, they have a ton of sports personalities that are part of it because it's a one it's a fox produced series so they're basically using the fox sports one crew oh that's brilliant for game footage and stuff like that so at any given point you see like a little ticker at the bottom as if you're watching like the game on television and of course me i'm going is atlanta winning oh no they're getting beat by the mets wait what game is that you know it's so it's just these random <laughs> uh random team scores down there but it's really cool because it makes you feel like you're sort of part of the actual things going on. But the other thing I like about it is because it's an ensemble cast, they are unpacking each character's backstory a little at a time through flashbacks and things like that, which is a great storytelling device. In my opinion, I really enjoy that kind of storytelling. And what it does is it just kind of rounds out the characters. So even a couple of episodes in, we're getting more um, backstory about her, about her, her agent, about, the team captain of the Padres who sort of befriended her. And he's pay, he's played by Mark Paul Gosler, who is known for Zach Morris fame from Saved by the Bell. Wow. And that's interesting. But it's also got um, uh, Dan Laria. You'll know him from The Wonder Years. He played Kevin Arnold's dad. And then Ali Larder uh, plays, plays her agent. Um, in addition to that, like I said, there's other uh, celebrities that are, you know, like John Smoltz and the the booth crew from the Fox sports one. And that that's a lot of fun, but it's been really, it's been really good. I, I didn't know what to think of it. It's, um, it's not dark or anything like that, but it's not necessarily like a quote, feel good television show. It's got some, it's got some edginess to it. Um, you know, take that for what it's worth. That's not really why we like it necessarily, but it's, it's a good series. It's something that, um, that we're both really into. And, and I was surprised that I enjoyed it as much as I did. So yeah, pitch Fox. Very yes. interesting. <laughs> it, it sounds to me, unf- I mean, unfortunately, and I haven't seen it, so this is completely presumptuous. But it sounds to me like one of those, you know, ideas that are are pretty interesting in their concept. But I don't. I, I I'm curious where it could go and how long that could stay interesting uh, because I'm, I'm, after I'm people get over yeah. the initial shock of you know this is a woman in Major League Baseball, and once you settle into that, I wonder if it just becomes kind of a drama at that point or, or is it more of a comedy? No, it's a drama. I mean, it's, it's clearly a drama and, uh, like you, I'm the same way. I think it probably, 
I think it's anticipating itself to be maybe just a one season deal. Um, because I, I believe if I'm looking at the schedule, there's a mid season pickup for another Fox show. So I don't anticipate it going beyond one season. So it'll be a nice, you know, maxi series, I guess is what we'd call it. Uh, um, but, but for, for what it is right now, the, um, there's some, there's some great chemistry between the main character, Jenny, who, uh, and, and Mike Lawson, who Mark Paul Gossler plays There's some really good chemistry between them and between her and her agent and uh, Dan Laurie is great in it as the as the manager and just there's a lot going on that kind of keeps you interested a lot of different subplots that are happening around this bigger plot of her making her major league debut that's awesome yeah I, you know i i wonder if more tv shows shouldn't do that and you know networks are always trying to plan for multiple season runs of things but you know i wonder what kind of good condensed storytelling we could get in more like a, you know, more like a Marvel series. They, they work so right. well as self-contained and yes, they have sequel series that come later on, but mm. you know, even if we never got more, these Marvel series are so self-contained that, mm-hmm. you know, you could just have a one shot. Uh, and, yeah. And you know, maybe network shows should do more of that sometimes. Yeah. Are you Marvel by Marvel? You mean the stuff on Netflix? I do mean the stuff on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. So the binge watch stuff, the stuff that's all kind of front loaded, and it's sort of in line with the um, the UK kind of process of how they produce shows. I mean, they intend to only go maybe one or two series, and they tell self-contained storylines in each series. So each series yeah. uh, is different. But Tell me you know. about it as I wait forever for Sherlock season four. <laughs> how about you, man? What have you been up to this week? Well, um, a couple things. One, I watched... Oh, well, first of all, I'll be back up. I didn't do a lot of uh, TV and movie watching this week either. Well, okay, that's probably not true. I did it all in one day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't do a lot spaced out through the week. Uh, what I did do is I took a day off of work. My roommate had a week-long vacation that he had decided to use to just kind of refresh himself. And so we planned one of those days for me to take off work as well and for us to go through the entire Lord of the Rings Extended Edition trilogy. Uh, It's something I've done before several times. It's my favorite um, fantasy universe ever created by by a long shot. Um, I'm I'm a huge Tolkien geek. And so it was a great experience, man. I just I just loved it. I've done it by myself every time before. I've never done it with someone. And so having someone to talk to throughout about the little things, uh, especially someone who also is is pretty much a Tolkien fanatic and has a lot of knowledge, it allowed us to focus on little details that we may have missed before and, you know, things that just came up in the trilogy. I think one of the one of the things that we noted was kept realizing this theme of water throughout the entire trilogy, whether it was the Nazgul, like not going on the water to, to catch the hobbits or the use of water to later stop the Nazgul when they tried to, to, uh, chase, um, Arwen. And it just, this theme kept reappearing. We found throughout the entire trilogy. And so we started Googling things and looking things up. Are the Nazgul afraid of water? Are they, you know, does water hurt them? And we just had a lot of fun kind of really diving into the meat of it and, uh, experiencing it together. And it was just, it was a, a ton of fun. And what came out of that is I did a little shake up in my all time movie ranking list because, dun, dun, dun. yeah. So Fellowship is my favorite of the trilogy. Um, lots of people have different ones. I know p- plenty of people who love Two Towers and plenty of people who love Return of the King. For me, it's Fellowship. Uh, most of us who love the Lord of the Rings trilogy and have such a high high place for it would also say that it's really hard to separate the three. I mean, it's it's really a trilogy like none other. And and if you watch it back to back to back, you see that. I think that's a strength of Peter Jackson having filmed it all at once because mm-hmm. the characters never feel like, oh, we took a two-year break and now we're back. I mean, it is just seamless uh, in, its, in its experience of watching it, you know, um, consecutively. But anyway, uh, The Princess Bride, I've always said, is my favorite film. And... I decided that Fellowship needed to move up because this is really, this trilogy, if I ever, this is my Desert Island movie. If I ever had to go to a Desert Island and I could only have one film or trilogy in this case to ever watch for the rest of my life to get me through it, it's going to be this one. And so I bumped Fellowship as my representative uh, up to number one on my list. 
Wow. Yeah. The world yeah. has been shaken. Right. <laughs> and uh, and in the TV realm, since This Is Us did not have that episode this week, it actually was kind of nice. I, I was glad to have a break. Uh, I am excited to see the next one coming. But um, I also really enjoyed Westworld episode one last week. I think I mentioned it on the podcast. I just finished watching Westworld episode two. This show has so much potential. It just got better already. Like it is, it was fantastic. I absolutely adore the second episode. It was amazing. So many questions got answered and then so many more questions came up uh, just the way I like it. And, uh, but anyway, what I, what we did do last week is we launched the first ever kind of feeling film network podcast, if you will. Um, and we started a Westworld podcast. If you're interested in finding that, uh, you can find it every Tuesday morning. It's called Finding Freedom, a Westworld podcast. It has its own tab on our website now. Uh, it's on iTunes. It's, it's it's out there, so you can find it. Like I said, Finding Freedom, a Westworld podcast. But um, Patrick wasn't able to do that one with me, so it'll be myself and Alexis Johnson, who we brought on board, and the two of us will just be recapping Westworld each week and uh, walking through that show so if you're into it and you're watching it i highly recommend you uh check out our talk because it, it's a lot of fun i mean just getting to go through a show series like this is something different never podcasted like that before where you're each week having these reveals and new questions and with it being an abrams produced you know tv show there are there are plenty of questions to talk about absolutely man and uh, i'm excited to see where you guys go with that it's going to be something really interesting to see what different formats can bring out in form of a discussion. So, well, are we ready to get into this? Uh, I am ready to get into this. I am. Uh, (laughs) Do you want me to lead? I'm going to lead. I'm going to lead. You know, I'm going to lead. So, as I mentioned in the introduction, Birth of a Nation uh, steals its name from a a very classic silent film. I'm not sure when it came out. I want to say 1914 or something like that. It uh, It was really, really early in the 1900s also a historical epic uh, of sorts but it's 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 actually it's funny because the original film is also very divisive Uh, it is regarded as one of the best films ever made because of its technical achievements at the time but because of its content and its depiction uh, of slaves its depiction of uh, african americans it's whitewashing um, it has not held up and stood the test of time uh, with audiences who look for more from their entertainment. Mm -hmm. Um, And this one, this one hit the ground running. So Nate Parker, um, the director has been working on this for, I want to say like seven years, uh, something like that. This is a passion project of his. And I, I I have not known Nate Parker from much. He was in a movie called the great debaters, which was actually very good. And uh, he was very solid in that. He's, He's a very good actor, but he had wanted to make this and he'd been working on it for a long time. And it finally premiered at Sundance this year, and everybody loved it. I mean, it was an immediate Oscar buzz. I remember spending the majority of this year just being so excited for this film because people were saying, this is the next great historical epic. Uh, this one is going to you know, win all the awards. This is, our, this is our next 12 years of slave. And so I went in with those kind of expectations. But over the course of the summer, uh, a couple things happened. And one of those was that Nate Parker had to face some allegations of uh, previous sexual assault from his college days. And the buzz on this film started to change because of that. And I'm not sure that that is entirely fair uh, for the film to be judged by the personal historic actions of its creator. Uh, However, I do understand the emotional investment of audience members who have a hard time watching this man portray a character who he is elevating to a place of um, almost hero level uh, and then defend against the rape of slavery and yet having potentially, you know, been accused of rape in his own past. So perceived as a bit hypocritical exactly it could be perceived as as very hypocritical and so i actually read that there were fan protests on uh, opening night of this people that had you know had candlelight vigils sitting or not vigils i guess that's the wrong word but candle they were sitting out with candles uh, outside of movie theaters kind of protesting the release of this film 
So that kind of sets the stage. And I just want to, I wanted to get that out and over the, over, over with, um, I don't personally plan to dive into Nate Parker's personal life any more than this, unless you really want to Patrick. Um, to me, it is what it is there. We don't know what happened. Uh, it's none of our business at this point. It's not, it's between him, the law and the, the potential victims or the accusers. So, right. And, um, I, and I will say this, uh, just, I'm going to pre-apologize. I will probably get both Nate Parker and, and Nat Turner's name mixed up <laughs> because that's not fair to me to be <laughs> have your name be so close to the character you're portraying, you know? So I apologize in advance for when I get, you know, confused. So hard. I completely agree with you. It, re- <laughs> it really <laughs> is difficult when you're trying to use them back and forth and him, him portraying that character. Um, but we'll try, we'll do our best. Um, so anyway, with, with that, my expectations going in, like I said, were pretty high. I thought that this was going to be a great film. I thought that this was going to be the next 12 years of slave, which I loved so much. Um, very emotionally impacted by that movie. I was also very emotionally impacted by this movie. Uh, unfortunately it was not in the ways that I expected to be emotionally impacted by this film. Um, I did not love it. I honestly didn't like it. And it brought out some very strong frustration and even anger in me, to be honest with you. So I'm excited to talk through this with you because I also can acknowledge that this is a well-made film. And if we were looking into its technical merit, which we don't really focus on, I can tell you that I really appreciated a lot of the cinematography, um, the acting, things like that. I can I could go into depth on some of these qualities that I actually do enjoy about this movie. But its content, its story choices, its narrative um, really did not sit well with me. And so that's where I'm at heading into this talk, Patrick. Mm-hmm. What what about you? I I have no knowledge of your feelings on this film yet. Yes. So lay it on me. Well, <clears throat> this was interesting because I went into this movie completely blind on everything. And so after the movie, when I found out about the accusations, when I found out that it, about the original movie, not that this was based on, but the original movie with the same title with some of the and you and I have had this conversation offline. I'd like to maybe write about it at some point someday, but about the value of adaptations of history and the creative license that creators make with them, how valid they are, how much, you know, is it, is it a good thing to add to a story that's historically, you know, grounded somewhere that's for another discussion online, offline somewhere. But so all of these things came in after the fact. And I've been trying to do that intentionally. And not just avoiding trailers, but really avoiding any kind of backstory. Because as you mentioned, having information like that can can adjust your movie experience going into it. It can adjust your expectations. You know, even if something is told is is being sold as this is going to be the next twelve years a slave. So your expectations are at some point adjusted based on this information. So having none of that going into it, I thought this was a very well-told story. There were parts of it initially that I was really kind of struggling with. (laughs) Coincidentally, some of the acting early on. Um, Army Hammer was not my favorite (laughs) guy in this movie. Um, in terms of his acting, he's a great actor, but there were times, at least in the early going, where his characters and some of the other white slave owners felt a little um, cardboardish, a little bit, um, you know, kind of flat, like sort of stereotyped as this is what you would see in a typical, you know, Civil War, pre you know, slavery movie. Um, as the movie went on, though, particularly at my connecting point, which I'll, we'll get into later that's when things started to get more interesting for me. There were a couple of really pivotal moments 
where I emotionally started kind of weeping. And the movie itself, walking away from it and having a couple of days to think about it, got me thinking about some other themes that maybe Nate Parker didn't mean to put in. Um, I think that the story he was telling, he told effectively, even if it wasn't something that, you know, barring any kind of historical inaccuracies or a creative liberty that he took, I feel like I understood the story he was telling, but the thing that I took away that I valued the most was what, what I interpreted for myself based on the story he told. In other words, it's kind of like when you look at a painting and somebody says, this is why I made this painting. It was commissioned for X, this person, that person. And then you get a guy like me that comes around and saying, you know what, this painting says this to me, which could be mm-hmm. nothing like what the director said. So in that regard, I took a huge amount of value away from it. This will not be a movie I see again, only because there were a couple of scenes. Well, there were there were several several scenes that made me uncomfortable, and it's and I think there are movies like that that don't need to bear repeating on a on a multiple viewing. Crash is another one. I can't watch that again because of just it's a great movie, but it makes me severely uncomfortable to a point where I think if I watched it again, the sensitivity would start to diminish, the value of it would diminish, and it, I just wouldn't feel good about it. And I think this is another one of those for me. So overall, I, I thought it was a really great film. Huh. So that'll, this is good then because we are definitely on opposite sides of this one. Um, <laughs> we didn't do this at all in our first 20 episodes and now it's uh, becoming a trend. <laughs> Go us. Um, but remember young Frankenstein. Remember young Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. Listen to last week's episode. If you want to hear us agree. Um, well, a couple, <laughs> couple things. One is I loved army hammer. First of all, I, I thought he was fantastic. He I grew thought, on me. He I thought on me. I thought he was amazing, and I thought that his performance was actually one of the standouts for me. And act and and truth be told, one of the most emotional, connective uh, characters that I had. Because for most of the film, I was thinking to myself, "Gosh, thank you, thank you for giving me this character who." is actually pure and good and cares and is, is doing the best he can within this awful situation and world that he lives. But he still, you can tell he has a heart. Like he, he understands the, the, the plight and the feelings of the slaves. He, he doesn't, he cares for them. And of course that doesn't play out throughout the entire story. And that enraged me, um, which is is not necessarily bad storytelling. I'm not saying that that's bad storytelling. If anything, it's probably decent storytelling because or good storytelling because that's what he probably wanted me to feel, um, and he did a good job. But I just thought he he did a, a very good job, I guess, of making that transition from being the friend and being the the sympathizer, as I wrote down, to being just like everybody else um, at that time in in the country's history. Mm-hmm. If not, like, on the bad side. The other thing you said, and I would like to find out, is you mentioned there's scenes, there are things that made you uncomfortable. Uh, is it too uncomfortable for you to mention them? Because I'm curious what those are. There was there was some of that for me as well, and it was the parts of this film that I feel like... And this is, this is where I think that I almost said Nat Parker, which is completely not it. Um, (laughs) This is where Nate Parker being a freshman director, I think has some things to learn uh, through this process and, and can grow obviously because his passion for this comes through, but man, he's about as subtle as a, I don't know. I don't know what a good phrase is, but he is not subtle. Um, And at times this film felt like, slavery the horror movie like mm-hmm. there was some crazy out of place gory just over the top violence that i didn't mm-hmm. think needed to be there to get the point across so um, right. i that that did not work for me and so i'm wondering what made you uncomfortable well it's interesting because i agree with you and i disagree with you at the same time which makes me crazy okay <laughs> uh so <laughs> and what i mean by that is that you're right 
I think Nate Parker is very heavy handed in the violent physically, like the visible violent scenes, like the scenes with the with the slave owner just popping the kid, the, the slave's teeth out nonchalantly like he's like he's, you know, you know, taking something away from him. He's just pop, pop, pop. And then you see all that gore, the, the beheading scene um, and even the 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 attacks that the slaves make on their masters just at the same time. And, and those scenes bothered me because I don't like that. But the other scenes that bothered me were the ones that didn't have anything showing at all, like the rape scene that we never saw, where um, Army Hammer's character you know comes out and you know, basically demands the slave girl come in, and we know what happens. The the scene where um, where Cherry is being um, threatened and the next scene we see is, is Nat coming in, revealing her face all just swollen up and barely able to talk. Those scenes bothered me because what that allows me to do, like when reading a book is it allows me to use my own imagination and I can see these vivid images in my head that weren't necessarily depicted on screen. You couple that with some of the grotesque stuff that is interspersed throughout and it elevates those images. And those are things I don't want to experience. And again, I think that's good from a storytelling standpoint because I think he wants us to feel that discomfort. But at the same time, I can also agree that I didn't expect to see beheadings, <laughs> gross beheadings of, of characters in a movie about slavery. Did it happen? I imagine it did, but that's not something that I was necessarily expecting. Okay, that's that's fair, and and I I'm glad that you mentioned those scenes because um, the rape scenes in particular, I would assume Cherry got raped as well, so I I kind of lumped that in. Uh, if not, then there was at least one rape scene and one incredibly bad beating. Mm-hmm. But I, I actually liked that, <laughs> so I am kind of I mean I I understand what you're saying, and you're saying you know leaving it to you is just sometimes can be even worse. Um, but I, I thought that those were great. And one of the highlights of the film for me is just the way that Nate, Nate, no, no, man, I'm doing it. I'm about to do it again. A way that Nate Parker, um, focuses the camera on the face of Nat. Yeah. And not on Cherry. Exactly. Yeah. So we see her once, we see her once, but then that's enough. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying is that's that's the thing I loved about it. That's that's the element of storytelling that he does that I think is great. But when you put that up against the heavy handedness of the violent scenes and it sort of cancels it out so he can do it really well or he can do it not so great. There's not really anything in between. Like I wanted more of those scenes that didn't need to be shown because that had more power for me, whereas the other scenes just grossed me out. Right. Yeah, and and that's and that's where that I think like I said about him being a freshman director and it's just that inconsistency and uncertainty of what he wanted this to be, to be honest. I think he wanted it to be like everything at once. And so mm-hmm. he tried to get everything at once into this <laughs> mm-hmm. and convey every single feeling you could possibly give us and it and it just did not the sum did not work for me even though parts did. Um, I had a problem at the very beginning as well. I thought it kind of, I, I I remember in the film sitting there going, okay, wow. Like we are on fast forward right now. Like we were just jumping from scene to scene as he was growing up. And so I didn't love that. Um, but then in hindsight, once the film finally, you know, was concluded, it didn't bother me as much because I realized why we were doing that. It wasn't so bad. We needed to get to, you know, Nat as a, however old he was, young adult, uh, so that we could start to experience everything that went on with him. Um, so one, one big problem with that, with it that I had, uh, and I guess this is kind of somewhat the biggest problem is I was unsure what the film wanted me to feel. And so thinking about it in terms of our show, and what we like to do, I didn't know what the goal was 
I didn't know whether I was supposed to sympathize with the slaves and agree with their methods for revolt. Um, and I, or was I supposed to sympathize with the whites that were murdered, you know, in cold blood? Like what, what was, what was the goal? And I felt like what Nate Parker was trying to tell me, and this is, this is my takeaway. So I, this is not me saying this is Nate, not Nate Parker's words. I just want to be very clear. What I walked away with was that this was a film almost more about Nate Parker than Nat Turner. I felt like he was to some extent patting himself on the back, making himself Oscar worthy, singing his praises. And I got lost in that. But with regard to the specific character, I felt that he was being created to be this hero and he was going to bring about this change. And this is a a retelling of how this went down. Um, But I just couldn't be okay with it because I I can't, um, I, I can't, I can't be supportive of the means in which this took place. And so I want to, I want to say a little bit about the history here uh, for those that do not know and aren't familiar with this. Um, So for context, so Nat Turner, I guess he lived about, he was 31 when he died, Um, but he was, he was a slave. He led this rebellion. Um, It resulted in 60 white deaths and at least a hundred black deaths. And this was the largest number of fatalities to occur in an uprising before the Civil War. Um, throughout the course of this, um, they ultimately were able to, you know, f- well, the rebels traveled from house to house. They freed slaves and they killed the white peoples that they found. That's what they did. And the rebels, the group, and this in this movie is pretty small. But in reality, it was actually about 70 uh, different African-Americans. And what what really bugs me is that this this story, the real true story, um, the rebels killed 60 men, women and children. So there was very little regard for anything. It was it was very much a reaction of beginning violence with violence. Um, and they murdered these folks too. And I'm not, I'm not justifying slavery. And I hope that goodness gracious, no one thinks that I am not justifying the actions of white slave owners. Um, however, I am saying that as a uh, supporter of, of human life, that I don't think that walking into someone's house and putting an ax in their head or chopping their child's head off is how you end slavery. And so I didn't get a sense in the film of Nate Parker telling us without a doubt, Hey, this is wrong. And it made me worried because with our current culture and our current, um, issues with violence that we have right now, um, that this is, it almost could be used as, material for for those hate groups to use and say you know look this is what happened this is what it takes but in reality you know what it didn't do anything nothing happened because of this other than a whole lot of people died because even more blacks died in retaliation from the the evil whites that you know were trying to get back at them for the uprising so i i had a hard time with that and and i just i'm i'm anxious and i would love to hear how you took the character of Nat Turner, what you felt his story was supposed to be saying and what we were supposed to feel uh, about him and this entire, you know, narrative. Yeah. This is, this is where I began to deviate after watching the movie and reading more historical context, just trying to get, a bigger picture of the story that Nate Parker was trying to tell. Um, I'll confess this, that I don't mind creative liberty when it comes to 
um, historical bio, you know, biopics, bi- biopics, <laughs> is it biopics or it's biopics? Bio, it's biopics. It took me a biopics. long time to figure that out. <laughs> biopic is something like a, it's like a medical term or something. Um, I, I'm a big fan of, of adaptations based on true stories. And I'm a lot more forgiving than I was in the past of saying, no, it didn't happen that way. Or no, that person wasn't in, you know, that person never existed. Because most of the movies that I see that are based on actual events are typically feel-good movies, like your Remember the Titans or your Eddie the Eagles or your Cool Runnings, things that use a base, a base foundation to tell a story. And when we when we walk into a movie theater, we're not look, we're not walking into a lecture, we're not walking into a um, a classroom. Those are byproducts for sure. We get educated, and I think it spurs us to want to know more about the story and what that does to the movie in light of those things is something that, you know, I think is very subjective. But I would say this, that walking out of the movie theater and doing the research that I did, I would agree with you that I think what Nate Parker was trying to do was create, tell a a hero's story using his faith in a way that um, felt justified. And I may be wrong. Again, I would love to sit down with Nate Parker and say, tell me about your vision. Tell me about the, the, the statement you were trying to make here, because I'd like to know more. And, and maybe I'll read more uh, from interviews with him. But what I took away from this was a reminder on my own faith that quoting the words of Jesus, no one is good, but God alone. And what I saw was a little bit of irony in some of the dialogue. It's in particular, it was the scene with, with Nat talking to these other slaves that he had gathered over a campfire. And he was making a great speech about the fact that for every verse that our slave owners used to tell us that we need to be enslaved, there's one that talks about our freedom. And so he was making a, for every verse that does this for them, there's a verse that does this for, for us. And there's absolute truth in that. But when you're proof texting equally as much as these slave owners are, you're not coming from a place of, of goodness. You're coming from a place of justification. And there's a particular moment when he's walking to the the hangman's noose um a la jesus like he's going from you know carrying his cross and he's smiling and in the theater i i got what was going on there he he felt like what he did um was righteous he felt like what he did um was starting a movement and that he was changing lives and it was reinforced by the fact that when the uh when the uh, the guy said, do you have anything else to say? I can't remember that last line, but it was something like, um, you know, not I'm good, but it was something like, um, um, like I'm fine or it's done or something like that, you know, in the same vein, like, like Jesus did, but, and, and he had a smile on his face. And so I'm, 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 I'm interpreting that, but looking back on it and, and seeing the pictures, the images of the, uh, of the crowd just hating on him. I started thinking about, again, after reading about the historical context of what, you know, who these guys killed and the fact that they didn't consider women and children as any, you know, more valuable than the men, that they were just white oppressors or whatever. I began to sympathize a little bit with, with the crowd. And if I'm sitting in the crowd and I see this guy smiling that seems devious to me. I'm interpreting that as a devious smile, not one that is, it feels that looks redemptive or like he's not hurt or whatever. But I began to start feeling an equal amount of sympathy for everybody after, after watching this movie and, and reading and just sort of sitting on it. And it frustrated me emotionally because I didn't have anybody that I could say was a winner in this because no one was good. Right. I couldn't have any sympathy for anybody. And 
it's weird because it didn't make the movie bad for me. It wasn't like, oh, well, Nate, you just, I mean, you missed the point completely. It was almost as if a story came out of this, an idea came out of it that is very truthful, particularly to my faith that I connected with without, sort of by accident. Hmm. And, and that, to me, satisfied my movie experience because I got to see a picture of two sides of people using a method of scripture to justify their actions. And while that's bad, because neither side came out on top, people got killed left and right because of both of these actions or both of these, these motives or ideals, it painted a picture of the fact that no matter what we do as people, there is an element of selfishness, an element of self-motive and personal, uh, if, if it's vengeance or whatever, personal motive that we all have for most of our actions by default because of, again, going back to my faith of being fleshly. But I think that, was, I think that played out really well in the movie. I think without maybe meaning to, that picture was painted beautifully uh, from both sides, even though I don't think Nate Parker intended that. I think he wanted this to be a hero story. I think he wanted Nat to be the hero and that smile to be the final thing that we saw from him of like, yes, he won. But the thing is, he didn't because the text at the end that said all these guys, they basically flayed his body and did all these things to try to basically hide his his legacy. And again, I'm just one person and I'm probably ignorant when it comes to history. But until I watched this movie... I had no idea who this guy was. No idea. And that line of text at the end sort of insinuated that he got his just you know that that he got his fame because of either this story that was being told or because of the fact that his name is in history somewhere. Well, it wasn't in my history books and it wasn't in anything until, you know, 2 days ago I knew anything about him. And again, I'm one person. I might be in the minority and if I am, that doesn't surprise me cuz whatever, but you know, it's, yeah, so there it is. <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing, and that's what I've read multiple times, is that he, this was a good thing because his story needed to be told. And if you Google him, you find lots of words where, lots of places where the word hero is thrown around. And that, I think, is what really frustrated my movie experience because I thought that was what we were going to get. I thought that's what this story was going to be was something that truly people have called this guy a hero, and I, I don't see it. In fact, and it made, that's what makes me angry. It infuriates me that someone would call this man a hero because good intentions do not a hero make. You know, mm. Your methods matter. Your choices matter. Heroes don't make the choices that Nate made. Nate, Nat, sorry. There we go again. <laughs> um, and so I I thought... You know, I thought that that Nate Parker's handling of him was very overly dramatic. Um, there's you you actually hit on one of the examples of that as he was walking to the gallows to be hung um, with this kind of this aura, this semblance of it's very messianic at mm-hmm. several points in the film. Oh, yeah. um, you know, as he's standing up at the whipping post, we go into like slow motion with him rising and this booming score, it's like, he's getting up. He's going to do it. He's getting up. And I, I get it. I get it. Like I under, I, I, I'm, I hope no one is offended by the way that I felt about this film. And I'm, I'm relaying that because I'm, I'm not, I'm not underscoring how awful of a thing and an event that that was, or that that was in real life, that people got whipped to the point of complete, you know, exhaustion to where they could not stand up. But the manner in which the story is giving, is telling us it's making him out to be this superhuman figure, you know, this special, special thing. And, and so it, it really was hard for me. It, it started to, to take me out of it. And then there's, there's another one that stuck out to me like a sore thumb, which was the death scene of Sam after he's killed Sam Mm-hmm. Sam is sitting and he crawls out and he, okay. And this is my point. So he hatchets him in the stomach. So first of all, he probably would have died 
pretty darn close. I don't know that he could have rolled out of bed and crawled his way with his innards pouring out uh, into the hallway. But he manages to crawl out of the bedroom, off the bed, roll off, out the door, into the hall, and, and sit up against a wall. And then you see Nat framed, staring at him. And behind them is this stained glass window with a cross in it. And the light's coming through. The early morning light. And it almost makes me feel like Nat, Nate Parker is telling me, look, this is a justifiable killing in the eyes of God. Because that's what I took out of it. And that's what, for my faith as well, like really irritated me. And got me, it angered me. Because it was like, I don't want people to see that and go, oh, you know, look at that. You know, there's a cross. He's doing this for Jesus. Um, and so, so that, um, was one, one example of that just overly dramatic messianic stuff that I had a a hard time with. Um, and then the other part was just that, that the revenge factor, I thought that by doing the, giving us those sexual violence scenes and those beatings and things that we kind of started to go the direction of a revenge movie more so than a movie about a man who was truly a called by God prophet struggling with his calling. Right. So I I think when we get into those two facets, Nate Parker subjectively would have been quote successful going full on one or full on the other. And I think because we got a mix of both it made the movie probably less enjoyable or less less of a movie experience because if we knew early on that this was going to be a, not really told but kind of shown that this was going to be a revenge movie regardless of whether or not it's historically accurate versus whether it's going to be a struggle with a man's faith and how he responds as a man of god um which has its own cultural connotations attached to it I think either of those stories would have worked on their own really well. But I think because we got both of them, I think it lessened the story as a whole. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it made the movie experience, I think for both of us in, in different ways, a little bit less enjoyable than we wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, besides the other stuff that made us uncomfortable. I mean, when we say enjoyable, I think we both mean our, our experience was, um, was tainted for these reasons. And, and I, and I think that with with a movie like this, those are valid reasons to have a kind of a tainted movie experience. But it doesn't. I mean, there were parts in it that I found just fascinating. You know, the, I love some of the rituals with the slaves. You know, with with the weddings, absolutely, and, and the dancing and the 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 church scenes. I mean, all these things. I think again felt authentic based on the things that I've read and that I know and that I have some friends that um, who've kind of told me about these things. I mean, I love that. In fact, I was in the theater, the scene where he's getting whipped. Um, there was a guy in the theater, I think telling his, the person he was with, he said, that's where they got the name cracker. Huh? And I didn't Are know you that. serious? I didn't yes. know that either. That's where the name cracker comes from. Now, again, this is a guy in the theater. I don't know his, I don't know how authoritative he is, but huh. I'm willing to believe that there's some truth to that because later on in the movie, one of the slaves refers to his master as a cracker. That would give me, and make so, me take a second thought about using that as a joke. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I mean, and when I heard that, I was like, whoa. So there were a ton of things. Uh, I love the wedding scene with, with Nat and, and Cherry. Oh my goodness. So many just subtle moments there were just fantastic. Even his proposal was just fantastic. Um, but I mean, for me personally, I, I don't think any of those can hold the candle to my connecting point, which can I go ahead and roll into it? Well, I, you know, I wanted to mention a couple other, the good things before okay. we, before we went on, just because, I mean, I have, I, I, I did enjoy, like I said, pieces of this and my, my overall takeaway from this film and my rating of this film and those things are based on the ultimate feelings that I have about where it led me or didn't lead me, I guess. Um, but I wanted to acknowledge some of those things as well. And I mean, you, you actually mentioned most of them. Um, I stole the, the, them. I stole so, them. <laughs> no, I'm glad you did because you're absolutely right. The wedding scene is phenomenal. Um, it was so impactful for me just to see that stripped down very few people 
Um, I really liked in that scene how they were laying on hands and praying for them in this tight circle. There was yeah. no pomp and circumstance. The audience isn't sitting in pews, you know, 20 yards away from the, the bride and the groom. It's, it was a, it's how weddings probably were done way, way back anyway. You know, it was, they were very uh, intimate affairs with family and friends. They were very close. And I loved that depiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, the singing in general, just all of the time, the joy, the, 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 the expression of their joy and their faith, despite the awful situations that they were in and that their continued hope and faith and reliance on God to provide, I thought was very well portrayed um, by him early going. Mm-hmm. And again, this is mostly stuff that was not directly Nat, the character. It was slaves in general. Um, the, the moment where, um, his grandma dies Mm. was pretty impactful for me too. Uh, I thought it was almost like her healing him after he was whipped was like her final task, you know, on this earth, taking care of him, like bringing him, you know, mending him and getting him back to health was was what she needed to do before she could you know let herself go and I, and I that one that was a very impactful thing for me as well and a lot of the scenes early on with Nat I absolutely loved honestly before he kind of got off the on before he changed when he was still hopeful when he was still naive to some extent when he reads second uh, Peter 18 at one or no Peter 218 at one point to them, and he tells the slaves that they should submit to their masters even when they're harsh. Like I was I almost got tears from that just brief moment because I was like, oh my gosh, how do you how do you stand in front of these people and say those words? Mm-hmm. And I admired him in those moments <laughs> early in the film. And that's what frustrated me again. You know, I, I, I loved him then. I wanted I wanted to root for this guy. I was in his corner. I wanted to go with him on this journey. I was expecting this hero. Um, and then I got something a little different, but yeah, yeah, there's, man, there, there was, there was a lot of good stuff here, um, mixed in with, you know, whatever negatives we, we may have taken away from it, but yeah, yeah. so it, definitely, uh, you mentioned your connecting point and, um, I want to hear it. I want to know what that was for sure. So go for it. Well, it, it was surprising to me, but Nat's relationship with Cherry uh, really, you know, came at me pretty fast. I didn't think that this would be impactful to me. Um, from the moment he saw her and convinced, convinced Sam to buy her, and I love the, uh, <laughs> I love the fact that he, uh, when he sees her walk into the house uh, to be, um, I guess, Sam's wife's kind of slave or whoever, he says, "Mama, thank you." You know, you made her beautiful again. She goes, no, she was beautiful already. And again, I wish I could remember the lines, but they were just really poignant. There was just great, great lines there. But he goes off in the middle of the night and he proposes to her and he says something like he, um, uh, he says, you know, I don't have much. I got my mama, I got my sister. And until I met you, I thought that was enough. I thought those were great words. So they, he proposes, they get married. And to me, the moment that I connected was um, was the most emotional moment of the movie for me. It was just after she had been beat up. Again, we never saw the act of her being abused, but we saw the result. And Nat goes to visit her, tells her that he's going to fix this, indicating that he's going to just he's going to go out for revenge. And through her swollen face, she ends up quoting scripture to to him to prevent him from doing so, reminding him of who he is, of the righteous man that he is. And without, and this is what I think is the strength of Nate Parker, the actor. The strength is in his facial expressions. Oh, he's a phenomenal actor in this. I want to, I would, I want to agree with you. So yes, but you, but you see on his face all of those nonverbal cues mm-hmm. of sadness and rage and frustration that was going on inside of him, and it just—I mean, I, I welled up. I was like, oh gosh, I—I'm <laughs> never ever in my life going to speak to knowing what that feels like to be in his situation and to have to swallow that. And it didn't get negated by 
the scene later on after his mom dies and you see that scene where, you know, he's looking at um, a passage in the Old Testament of uh, the basically the Israelites taking down a land or taking down a, a group of people because God said so. But those scenes coupled together really brought out what I thought was my personal interpretation of this movie that we are fallible human beings and we can be encouraged and we can we can be motivated by our faith to to act one way or act the other and so that moment with with cherry sort of being the strength for him in that moment was very valid for me it reminded me that i need my wife (laughs) that she speaks truth into my life and she does so in a way that it's tender and that it's very personal. And the fact that Cherry knew him so intimately that she was able to speak that way to him. Um, in the movie, at least we don't see a lot of strong women. Well, we I take the back. We do. We see a lot of strong women, mm-hmm. but, but traditionally, I guess, when we think about slaves, we think about, well, the movie itself was sort of overemphasized by all these strong men. And right. so having someone like Cherry do what she did um, elevated her position to me in this movie as, as someone of real importance. And so I, I connected with that. That is great. I, I don't know how anyone could not connect with that moment um, <laughs> in a very painful way. I actually wrote down in my notes, I'm going to read this because it's interesting to me. Um, I wrote down the scripture that she uses and she says, all those that take the sword will perish by it. And I mean, sure enough, it's very prophetic. You know, here's Nate or Nat Turner supposed to be the prophet. And then Cherry's the one actually speaking that truth. that's eventually Mm going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually wrote down telling him to leave this to the Lord how could he be expected to? <laughs> and yeah. that's and that's where I I connected as well with him in that moment because you know how do you that's that's like it's like the the idea these days of a parent losing a child to a murderer or to a kidnap or to some kind of a rape you know time to kill deals with that the novel by John Grisham novel slash movie you know how do you how can you quiet that rage inside you that wants vengeance um yeah it's a very real question and, and it's, it's a hard, it's, and it's a hard question to answer it is very hard it is very very hard um and yeah it's too bad he didn't handle it a little differently but um <laughs> <laughs> you know so my uh my connecting point uh, was nat um, and it, i had so i had a few the one that you mentioned was was way up there for me but there's a moment when I, I really did like cry. <laughs> I, I found myself like almost breaking out in tears just full on because it got to me so much. And I don't know, it's it's weird to me why why this is the one, but it was Nat's second sermon um, when he's been traveling around. Uh, he goes the first time and it's a very awkward experience for him and for every, I mean, just watching it was awkward. And I thought that was good filmmaking too. Like we, we felt how weird of a situation this was people hiring him to come just say a few verses to their slaves and paying for that because they thought that it was going to somehow motivate and make the difference. Um, and of course paying for it with the expectation, you want to tie that into current day politics. My goodness. Mm. It's almost like, you know, taking money for a, a political candidate to say what you want him to say. That's, that was what the intention was of these slave owners. Um, but Nat's second sermon, uh, he goes and he, he talks about, I don't remember the exact verses and I wish I'd written them down, but he says something about how, you know, he prays that they sing a new song, uh, with crying and shaking. And so he kind of starts it as if he's going to say the same things, you know, be good, listen to your masters. The Bible says so. And what it, it, it ties into what you mentioned about his facial expressions and the way that, that Nate Parker, the actor handles this. You feel in this scene him going through the process of not being able to reconcile what he's being asked to do and what he sees standing in front of him and what it means for him to support that. 
and he his he just is wrecked completely. Um, he's he's visibly struggling with it, and he just starts kind of screaming and getting louder. And this is when I really connected with him because you know it was in this moment that I was a hundred percent with him when he was seeing it very much like cherry. He was seeing the pain that had been brought. He was seeing the evil that his brothers and sisters and family members and friends and, and, and fellow slaves were dealing with. And he was making that transition um, and, and combining his faith, reconciling his faith and hope with his reality and how to actually go about changing that. And he hadn't made a decision at that point. And I think that's why I connected with him the most because he had not yet crossed the boundary, so to speak of deciding to approach this with violence, Mm -hmm. but you knew he was on the cusp of it. And he just, he felt like a man that was throwing himself on the ground weeping before God saying, help me. I don't know what to do. This is an impossible situation. What, how do we get out of this? And so I really connected with him right there in that moment. Yeah. It's great, man. That was one of my, that was one of my top three uh, that I had to pick from. That was going to be, if, if the scene with, with Cherry hadn't happened, that was going to be my, my number one. So very, very cool. Awesome. Well, it's been a good discussion. Uh, I'm really glad we got to have this one and it's, it's fun to sometimes, this is one of the best things to me about doing theater movies. Sometimes we get ones that, you know, are just fun watches or popcorn flicks, especially in the summer. We got, we did a lot of those, but these, you never know exactly what you're going to get or how you're going to come out of this. And it's a really cool experience to be able to talk through this with it's different... like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And then that happened. Um, <laughs> listeners, I apologize for uh, Patch Gump, but unfortunately, the impressions are back. So, yes, what I was saying is that it is awesome to walk through this process of, of going through a narrative, breaking it down, talking about how I felt versus how you felt, mm-hmm. and doing so in a way that is so edifying. Uh, because you know, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. You're not saying I'm wrong. We're just discussing different ways that people could have walked out of this movie and with different emotions. And I think acknowledging that is an awesome thing. And I am appreciative that we get to do that together. Yeah. Film is very subjective and, and I think it lends itself to having good discussion like this and done in ways that are uh, not um, scathing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's one of the things I I, I love about what we do is that, uh, we have a friendship to sort of be a buffer. So even if we disagree, even if we crazy disagree, uh, we know that that element of friendship and wanting to keep things, <laughs> quote, positive uh, allows us to, I think, have a, a good conversation and get to understand the other person's perspective a lot more. So good stuff. Yeah, buddy. Well, if people want to continue this conversation with you, um, this, is, this is one that's a lot of fun to talk about. Um, and there's much to dive into that we didn't even get to cover. So if they want to talk to you further about this, where can they find you? Uh, I'm in, uh, on the Facebook and Twitter uh, at shoeless patch, S H O E L E S S P A T C H, uh, facebook.com slash shoeless patch. And you can check out some of, uh, some of my personality on this is My website. If you want to check that out, leave a comment on something here and there. Awesome. What about, uh, did you mention yet, uh, last week about our Instagram account. Oh yeah, yeah. We we just launched an Instagram account. Yeah. The the account is the Feeling Film Podcast. So if you do a search for that, you'll find us. And uh, we, uh, it's not as much of a marketing tool for us, but, you know, because it's just you know photos and stuff. But I'm trying to find ways to get more creative with that. So yeah, if you uh, want to follow us on Instagram at Feeling Film Podcast. Yeah, I think we're gonna be trying to post some more behind the scenes kind of stuff there too. Just things like with us, you know what we're watching fun mm-hmm. stuff like movie tickets yeah maybe memorabilia that ties in stuff like that absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well if you want to find me on the web you can find me always all over at aaron l white a-a-r-o-n-e-l-w-h-i-t-e facebook twitter anything and everything the show 
at Feelin' Film on Twitter, uh, at Feelin' Film, or I guess Facebook.com slash Feelin' Film on Facebook. Um, there is a Facebook group, still growing, still awesome, fun place to come discuss movies and TV. Uh, things like The Flash that I know just started back up, which Patrick would love, love for you to come talk to him about. Yeah, expect uh, a weekly post from me nice. uh, inviting discussion. It'll be spoilery, and but I'll make sure that in the you know the headline it doesn't say anything spoilery for anybody that doesn't really care. But uh, yeah, just I want to discuss Flash with anybody and everybody who are, who's interested. So come do that because I can't do it with him, and that is sad, <laughs> but you guys can. Um, also with the Westworld, same same concept as we're going through Westworld, um, we will be posting the links for Finding Freedom, a Westworld podcast uh, via our main Twitter and Facebook page. So go give that show a listen if you're interested. Uh, rate and review us. Always welcome. Always grateful for those both on the main page, Feeling Film on iTunes and on the Westworld podcast. Um, that helps us get up those charts and recognize so that more people can find us, more people can listen. And ultimately there will be more people to join the conversation next week. We are doing something that my daughter recommended Patrick. Uh, she, we had a, we had a plan and we decided to forego that plan because a 13 year old teenage girl uh, begged. And so she said, dad, I don't understand. She said, one of your favorite movies ever is The Nightmare Before Christmas. How are you not doing this movie at Halloween? And I looked her in the eyes, and I did not have an answer. So, what's <laughs> this? This is Halloween. This is this Halloween. Is Halloween. <laughs> there will be singing, uh, so be prepared. Uh, and get ready for that one, because it's going to be a lot of fun. Next yeah, week. I'm ex- I'm excited about that. That's going to be two Tim Burton movies that I get to see in like three weeks. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, that's about it for us tonight. Uh, It's been fun, and we are grateful for you listening. Uh, Till next episode, stay positive. And keep feeling film. And TV. And TV.